Last week we had our first open offering. Yes. And you were all amazing and we were so blessed and honoured. And then I left very humbled just by your generosity and your energy in giving as well. Not just what you gave, but how you gave and the energy in which you gave. And uh, so I thought you might like to know how much money has come in. Yes? Fantastic. So as I said before, we had 6,000 before last week handed in already, and I've put all of this money together. And with the offering that we received last week as well, we have a grand total of £18,237.94. pence. Now, we were, there's a couple of things you need to know as well. One is that somebody called me yesterday to find out the total because they wanted to uh, round it up for us. So we are actually going to have £20,000 by the end of this week, which is cool. We obviously asked for 14 and we got 20 uh, But there's a couple of things I'd like to know. One is that we asked a couple of people if they would like to give some of their, give their gift to the general fund of the church so that our church can get to its reserves. And with the giving that we've got, our church now sits at its reserves, which means that, you know, we can run for three months without any giving whatsoever. Don't. <laughs> I saw that thought run through your mind. I'll take three months off. They're fine. And we also then have the exact, r- exact right amount of money that we need to do our mission trips this year. Um, so, yeah, for the whole year, our outreach stuff is now sorted, which excites me immensely. Um, uh, not only that, but uh, my dad uh, spoke last week and shared that we would like somebody to come help us with our finance. And uh, Jenny Inam has actually offered to help with that as well. So we have somebody on a volunteer basis looking after our money as well, which means that that is just that's a great blessing. That is a huge blessing. We thank you very much, Jenny, for that time that you're going to give. Uh, I would like to say, though, if you haven't given to it and you would still like to, please do. Don't just think, well, they've hit the goal now. Do it because it helps us grow in generosity. That's the reason we're giving. We're giving so that we as personally might feel more involved, we might feel more connected, and that we might grow in our generosity. So don't worry necessarily, oh, they've hit the goal and mine doesn't matter anymore. Yes, it does. Because who knows what God wants that money for and what he's going to do with it and who knows what else might come out this year that we think that's something we've really got to give to and really got to get involved with so please do give if you haven't done so already but I thought that is really exciting and we are over the moon honestly we me and Emily are just blown away by it and so we thank you so much for your generosity and the kindness that you're giving and I promise we will take it seriously and the trustees will take managing this money very seriously and pray about it fast about it and um yeah get you guys out to Europe with it. Speaking of Europe, tomorrow afternoon, uh, a group of 11 11 of us from this church will be going to Greece, Athens, to uh, help and serve refugees. That's exciting. And it's because of this money that we've been able to lower the cost of those trips very dramatically so that anybody can come and anybody can join in. And so 11 of us will be going to that. And I thought, how am I doing for time? Yeah, we're good for time. You've got plenty of time to preach. Good. Um, what I would like to do is I would like to get those 11 people. This is what I like to do. I'd like to get them out, to the, out on the front and have them look at you. And then what I'd like you to do 
is people from this congregation. I would love you just to walk up to them, and I'd just love you to walk up and just bless somebody. I don't, I'm not looking for a long prayer. I'm not looking for a prophecy for them. Uh, if you have that, write it down and give it to them afterwards. I'm just looking for you to walk up to them and say, be blessed in the name of Jesus. I'm reminded of one Bible verse from Psalm 23 where it says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Now, I take that as a real promise. Wherever I go, the goodness and love of God follow me. When you walk into Tesco's, the goodness and love of God walks in behind you. Yes? When you're in a traffic jam, goodness and love are right behind you. All right? Whenever you go to any country, any church, the goodness of love will follow you. And so what I want these people to know is that there is a community behind them and that are praying for them and that goodness and love will follow them when they go to Greece. That's what I want. Is that okay? So it's going to be an interactive moment. But you're okay with that. And you, you came to church to get involved, didn't you? Not just to sit and watch. Great. So for those uh, 11 people, if you could come and just stand at the front. Max, if you could be free, that would be great. Come and stand at the front and face, the, face your family for me. We're just going to try this out, see how it goes. If it doesn't work, I won't do it next time. That's good. I love how you stood as far back as you possibly could. Well done, guys. Okay, and church, if you, if you can and you're willing to, I would love for you just to take it, just come up, just go to different people and speak a blessing over them and speak the goodness and love of God this week so that they would know that there is a family that goes with them, that we don't just send them out on their own. They are going with family. Is that okay? All right, so would you stand up and just come and do that? Just come and speak a quick blessing. Don't pray too long. Don't spend their five minutes prophesying. Just a quick blessing. Move on. Go down the line. Pray a blessing. Let people know that you love them. The goodness of God will follow them. Just speak a blessing. You can go down the line. Don't take forever. I know some of you love to pray for long. Speak a blessing in the name of Jesus. Blessing in the name of Jesus. Blessing in the name of Jesus. Goodness and love follow you. Goodness and love follow you. Goodness and love follow you. Speak a blessing over you right now in the name of Jesus. Blessing of God. Blessing of God. Blessing of God. Goodness and love follow you in the name of Jesus. Thank you very much. Bless you. Goodness and love follow us all the days of our life. Thank you very much. Go on, Judy. You get in there. Excellent. Thank you very much. Guys, you can go grab your seat again. It's going to be amazing.
Great. Okay. It's going to be amazing. Keep an eye on social media if you do follow that. If not, next week we'll show some pictures and a video, hopefully, and we'll share some stories about what God did through this week. Are you ready to hear the Word of God preach this morning? Uh, Emily and I actually celebrate our second wedding anniversary tomorrow. Yes. Last year, we spent it in Estonia because Emily was preaching at a women's conference. This year, we spend it serving refugees. So it's becoming a bit of a tradition for us that we're in another European nation ministering on our wedding anniversary. This is a new sermon series. Emily's going to tell you all about it, but try and keep up with it. Get the Bible verses, read them in your private time as well, because it's going to be the same passages throughout the next three weeks as we lead up to Easter. Are you ready? Will you please make some noise for my beautiful and intelligent wife, Emily? (laughs) Come on up. Ben, can you always greet me with that noise? I enjoy it. So we just do. It's a really fun noise to make. Uh, So yeah, we're starting a new series today. Um, You might recognise the title from Christmas. Uh, It's called "Prepare the Way," Um, and we wanted to use the same title for this leading up to Easter again because on Easter Sunday, as I'm sure you've heard by now, we're going to be doing our two services again, like we did at Christmas, 11 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. And they're going to be a bit different than this normal service. They're going to be about an hour long. Kids and youth are going to be involved. The choir is back. It's going to be shorter. So you can invite everyone to it. It's going to be a bit more interactive for you to bring anyone and everyone along to. And just like we did at Christmas when we thought about, okay, how can we prepare the way so that others can get to know Jesus and I can be inviting them to Christmas? In these next two weeks leading up to Easter, it's going to be our challenge again for how can I still continuously in my everyday life be preparing the way so that maybe, just maybe, people might get to know Jesus. And actually we can invite them and and they say yes to that invite to coming to those Easter services on Sunday. So that is the heart of this series. And actually I love that it works for both Christmas and Easter because, hey, celebrating Easter is, is us celebrating the ultimate way that Jesus prepared. Like, without Easter, there would have been no way prepared for us. Uh, celebrating Easter and thinking about how Jesus prepared the way means that we're remembering and celebrating, oh, that's when he made the way so I could be free from my sin, and I could be free from my worry, and I could be free, free from anything that held me beforehand, and I could have a way to be in a relationship with him, and my eternal destiny was changed. Celebrating Easter, I love it. I love celebrating Easter more than I think celebrating Christmas, because it's a reminder to me of what it took for me to have my salvation. And I think we, I just, I don't want us to ever get to a place where we're complacent or um, just get a little bit uh, apathetic towards these stories of Easter. Because yes, in church calendar and yes, in church life, if you've been in church any amount of years, you'll be so familiar with the stories surrounding Easter. You'll know it inside out. Yes, we know what happened, da, 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 da. But I always want us for that to stir again in us what it took for us to experience salvation, what it actually took for us to be here today. With, without Easter, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be in this place. We wouldn't have the salvation we had. So that is what I want us to, to have an attitude towards this series. 
hey, you might know this story, but let's go again with it. Let's be stirred up by again. Let's think how it can help us prepare the way for others uh, to know Jesus at Easter. Um, so we're going to be looking at a story that actually happens a little bit before um, Jesus' death and resurrection. That's where uh, we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks, and that's the passage uh, Liam's going to use on our Easter Sunday services. Uh, we're going to be looking at, it, it starts at the beginning of the week, leading up to Jesus' death, death and resurrection, and it's when he has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Anyone familiar with this? I'm sure you are. Palm leaves, donkey, etc., etc. That is the story that we are going to be looking at um, for thinking about how we can prepare the way for others to get to know Jesus, but also looking at the way that Jesus has prepared for us. Um, so let's read it. We're going to be looking at it in Matthew 21 uh, from verses 1 to 11. This is the passage that we're going to, you can read it in any gospel. I'd encourage you to actually read it in all four of them because you get different bits from different books. Um, but we're going to be using the one in Matthew 21 for this, these next couple weeks. You ready? Yeah? Are you, are you ready to receive the word today? Yeah? Are you with me? Are you excited to hear about preparing the way? being stirred again to invite others to church. So let's read from Matthew 21. It says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to, I always never struggle with this, came to Bethpage. Anyone know Bethpage? Yeah, great. Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Familiar story? Yep, maybe you've been in a church service where you get to wave a palm leaf or there's a fake donkey. Hey, that might happen at our Easter services. Just saying. Um, or maybe Hosanna. It's a very familiar term in, in any kind of church you may go to around Easter. It's familiar to us, this story. But I want us to to look a bit deeper into this passage and actually for us to look at what it tells us about the way that Jesus was about to prepare. Remember, this happens at the beginning of the week that leads up to his death and resurrection. So what does this moment, this thing, this action Jesus does that isn't just, a, oh, I fancy riding on a donkey into a crowd of Jerusalem. There's a purpose, there's a message, there's something else behind it. What can it tell us about the way that Jesus was about to prepare? But also, what can we learn from this passage then about how we can be preparing the way for others and welcoming Jesus into their worlds? 
And I want us to understand um, a bit of the background to this story. Let's set the scene a bit. You might know some background of this, but just go with me. Like, let's, let's really dive into this. Let's use our imagination this morning. You can be active in church, yeah? Your mind can be alive this morning. Um, let's use it to imagine this morning. Hey, let's use our imaginations to imagine the scene that was happening at this moment that we've just read about. You see, in Jerusalem at this time, they are celebrating something called the Passover festival. It's one of the festivals that the, the Jews celebrate. Um, it was the first festival that God actually gave them. And it, it's a time to remember when God delivered the Israelites out of slavery um, that they were held in in, G, uh, in Egypt and delivered them into freedom. So this is what the Passover festival is representative of. And this is major to Jews. Like this isn't an optional like, oh, maybe I might attend, click, maybe on the Facebook event. This is a no, I'm there, I'm getting myself to Jerusalem. Jews from all over the land are flooding into this city. They're flooding in. It's not just a few on the outskirts. From everywhere, they are gathering. They're pouring into Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is packed out. It is busy with Jews from all over the land ready to come and celebrate this Passover festival to see the traditions that God had asked of them in the Old Testament be done now in, in this age and they still celebrate it all these years down the line. They're here to witness the traditions of this festival and to take part in them. That's why they're here. They're here to uphold this traditional culture, this festival that God gave them back in the Old Testament. They're here to, to see that and witness it and carry it out. So Jerusalem is packed it's flooded with Jews. It's bursting at its seams. And what happens, one of the first things that happens at this festival, we're at the beginning um, of the Passover week, is the high priest, basically like the most important guy in the temple, in layman's terms, that's how I think of him. He goes and chooses a perfect lamb, an actual lamb, a perfect lamb from Bethlehem, actually, so you can already see where the symbolism with Jesus uh, is, because, yep, that's where he was born. And the high priest goes and chooses a perfect lamb from the fields at Bethlehem. And then he brings this lamb back up to Jerusalem, and he actually, actually brings a lamb through the eastern gate, which is important for us in a minute. And he brings the lamb through the eastern gate. And all the Jews that have come and gathered, all these crowds, all the people that are here to see this tradition, celebrate this festival, they come and welcome this lamb into Jerusalem because they want to see and they want to celebrate what it symbolizes being this perfect sacrifice for them. So they're there to see that the, the, the high priest has chosen a blemish-free and perfect lamb that is then brought to the temple and is actually, they leave it outside the temple for a few days for the, the crowd to then inspect it to actually check that he's chosen a perfect and blemish-free lamb. And so this is what happens. And this is the moment at which Jesus enters. This is the beginning of the week where the crowds are gathered, ready to see this tradition happen, ready to watch the high priest bring in the perfect lamb from Bethlehem that is representative of this sacrifice for them. And then it enters Jesus. Now Jesus is also at the beginning of his most significant week. He's at the beginning of his week that ends in his death and resurrection. And here he is and he chooses this moment to ride in on a donkey 
And we actually know because he comes from the Mount of Olives that he came from the eastern side of Jerusalem. So he actually enters in through the eastern gate as well, just like that lamb does with the high priest. And Jesus enters in to these crowds that are ready to see this lamb being brought in. And they see Jesus come in at the exact same moment that they're about to celebrate that bit of the Passover festival, Jesus enters. And so that is the moment that we read about. It was not lost on Jesus, the significance of his timing of when he chose to enter Jerusalem. And we so miss, we just read it and think, well, that, you know, cool, he, he got on a donkey and, and it was crowded. But why was it crowded? You know, why were the crowds there? Well, they, he knew they would be there. He knew the Jewish traditions. He knew the kind of place he'd be entering into. He knew if he entered in at this time, they would all be there gathered, ready, waiting to see. It was not lost on him, the significance of this time. And I want you to imagine the crowd as well. This crowd, this packed out Jerusalem is there and it's made up of people who um, are Jews who have traveled to, to celebrate this tradition, this culture, this festival. You've also got people there um, who are religious leaders who very much dislike Jesus and his teachings. They're mixed into the crowd as well. You've also got, which I find really interesting, and you can read about it in John when it talks about this passage is you've got people who have just been at a feast celebrating how Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Because in John's gospel, that happens just before this. And then they hear that Jesus comes to Jerusalem. So they've come as well because they want to see Jesus again. So you've got these people who are excited about the miracles of Jesus and they're for him. You've got these people who are there, you know, looking to uphold Jewish traditions and are there to just celebrate the Passover festival. And you've got people in the crowd who hate Jesus and dislike him and don't want him there. And his teachings and what he is doing and so you've got this whole melting pot are you imagining it like this whole mix of people are there to, to see this thing and Jesus enters on a donkey and he enters into this crowd it's busy it's crowded I'd imagine it's a bit chaotic can you I'd imagine it's quite loud and everyone's jostling against each other and there's this almost sort of heightened tension and maybe excitement and, and expectation and anticipation in the city and Jesus enters and you see when Jesus arrives what we're going to look at today is there are two actions that the, it says most of the crowd do, because remember there are people in there who don't know about Jesus and actually hate Jesus. But there are two actions that most of the crowd carry out when Jesus enters in. You see, they lay some things in front of Jesus on his way in, I'm sure you picked that up, and they shout some things about him. And what I want to firstly just encourage us in in what we see the crowd do when they lay things in front of Jesus when they shout about him is there is an enthusiasm to how they welcome Jesus into their world okay they aren't just like well done Jesus thank you for coming mm -hmm. yeah like you there isn't a gentle applause there isn't a Yep, okay, there you go. They throw off their cloaks. They climb trees and cut branches to lay in front of him. And it says that they shout. They aren't just like, thank you, Jesus, for coming to Jerusalem and saving my soul. They aren't just like, here, have like a little bit, or I don't want to make a scene. 
They're like, Jesus is here. Let me, let me show you something. Let me express my enthusiasm, my excitement at the fact that the Savior, Jesus, has arrived into Jerusalem. I've got to show something about how excited I am that he's here because I know who he is. That is what this crowd do when they do these two actions that we're going to look at today. There is an enthusiasm that is stirred in them because of who they know Jesus to be, who they recognize him as. That's my first challenge to us today, and it's not really one of my points, so don't count it. But it is, are we genuinely stirred up to express enthusiasm because we know who Jesus is in our lives? And it's not to look down on you, it's not to judge you in how you worship him or what you do in your private time with him or how you live your life with him. I just wonder and want to ask the question for you. If Jesus walked down this aisle, would you stay as you are? Or would you be like, let me show you, let me show you who I think you are. Would you shout? Would you be like, yes, I love you, Jesus. I'm so glad you died on a cross and rised again because it means I'm saved. Let me bow down, let me kneel so I can show you how much I love you and I'm in reverence to you. Would you stay in your seat? Would you stay with your arms folded? No judgment, I know that's comfy. But would you stay like that? Would something be stirred in you to express an enthusiasm because you know who Jesus Christ is? Jesus Christ entering into our lives should stir an enthusiasm in us. It absolutely should. Not out of fakeness, not out of hype, not out of doing it just because and being excited, but because we know who it is that we belong to now and the significance of who he is in our lives. That's where the enthusiasm comes from. And that's what happened in this crowd. They knew. They knew who was coming. They knew who was entering into their midst. And they absolutely had to do something to show that they knew who Jesus was. And so we're going to look at the two things that they do. The fact that they lay some things down in front of Jesus and how they shout about him. And we're going to look firstly at how each of these things show us something about who they knew Jesus was and is. And also then what it tells us about the way that he was about to prepare at the end of the week. But then also how it can challenge us in how we are preparing the way in our lives so that others know Jesus. You see, the first thing that they did is they lay down their cloaks and they lay down branches and leaves. And actually, if you read in a couple of the other Gospels, it does say they went up trees and cut branches down. It wasn't like they had a nice fake palm leaf ready to go, like, whoo, here you go, (laughs) walk over that. They were like, oh, what can I get to show and lay down in front of Jesus? Great, I'm going to go climb a tree. I don't know what they used to cut it down with. I don't think they had scissors back in that day. But they went and they were like, I've got to get something to put in front of Jesus because I've got to show him what he means to me and what it is I know who he is. And so they lay down cloaks in front of him. Just picture it. Jesus is coming. And there's this red carpet, if you will, of cloaks that people have just thrown off themselves, strewn along the floor, mixed with branches and leaves cut down from the surrounding trees. In John's Gospel, it does mention palm leaves, so you can picture that. And there's this carpet that Jesus then rides over. Why did they put those two things down? Why those two things? Well, actually, putting these two things down tells us 
about Jesus and who he is and that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. You see, if we look at the cloaks symbolism to start with, we have to go back to a passage in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 9, where actually we can read about when these captains, um, a guy called Jehu had just become king. (laughs) It's a really fun word, King Jehu, had just become king. And his captains took off their garments, laid it down in front of him so that he could walk over it because it was an act of submission to recognizing him as their king. And that is what these people are doing with their cloaks when they lay them down. They're saying, I recognize you as king. I'm not just putting anything underneath your feet. I'm showing an act of submission in that I believe and recognize and have faith in you as my king. And the branches, when we look at the symbolism of the branches, the branches they laid down actually were a symbolism of victory. You see, in another feast that the Jews celebrated called the Feast of Tabernacles, this was something they used to do as part of it. They used to strew branches around the place when they were celebrating this feast. And they did this to symbolize victory and liberty and joy. So what have we got here? We've got a crowd laying down cloaks and branches for a man they recognize as a king who is about to bring the ultimate victory, the ultimate joy, and the ultimate liberty into their lives. That is what they are doing when they lay those things down. It is no accident. It is no nice thing that we pick up on and do in plays in church now. There was a significance behind what that crowd were doing that day. And who it is that they recognize Jesus as. They were like, our king is coming. This is our king. And so we can see who they recognize Jesus as. So what does that point to? The way that Jesus was about to prepare at the end of the week. If he is the king. If he is the ultimate victorious king. What is the way that he was about to prepare? Well, he wasn't about to be a king like any other earthly king. He wasn't about to just rule and subdue an army. He wasn't about to just overthrow um, a physical throne. He was about to come king over everything. He was about to rule and subdue over death so that every person in humanity could experience freedom from that. He was about to bring the way to victory over all of our sins Not just victory over a ruler and a time just um, secluded for that moment in history. He was about to bring victory over sin for all eternity. Not just that moment, forever more. He was about to bring victory over all worry, all fear, all anxiety, all insecurity, all shame, all addiction, all sin. Anything that wanted to keep you wrapped up, he was about to bring victory over. He was about to bring liberty to you at the end of this week. That is the way that this king was about to prepare. Oh, he was about to prepare a way that no one else could have prepared. He was about to become the king over everything that wants to try and hold you back in your life. He was about to become the king that would rule not over you as a tyrannical dictator, but as a close, intimate friend and savior. He was about to become a king that is intimate with you, with you every day, not just somewhere far off in a palace, but here with you, walking beside you, 
That is the way that this king was about to prepare. See, Christ's resurrection at the end of this week, at the end of this week from where we are at now, Christ's resurrection from the dead made a way for us to experience complete freedom from our sins, complete liberty, complete victory over our sins. Can we take a moment just to recognize that? You know, this morning I woke up and as I was, I was praying a bit for today and thinking about this message today, I honestly felt a humbling in my spirit. How do I get to tell your story, Jesus? How? how? This, what, what you did, what you did for me, what you've set free in my life, what you've rescued me out of and delivered me from is so magnificent and huge and sometimes far beyond our comprehension. How, how, how is it that I get to even speak about you and what you did for me? And I was humbled again by what it took for my salvation. I was humbled again, remembering that when I gave my life fully to Jesus, he became king over my past. He became king over my future. He became king over my presence. And because I recognized him as king, I had a freedom from everything that wanted to try and chain me and stop me and keep me trapped. I have a freedom now from insecurity that kept me in a box and lied to me and kept me in this area and made me think things that weren't true and lied to me about myself and other people around me. I'm free from it now because of the King Jesus, because the King came, because of the way that the King prepared for me. He is your King today. Your King. Intimate with you, but he is still king by what he did in the way that he prepared. So if Jesus is king, if Jesus is king in your life, if this is the way that he has prepared, that he is the ultimate victorious king in our lives, like the crowd expressed in their submission to him with the cloaks and branches, I have this question for you and how you're preparing the way in your life. How do we express our respect and submission to Christ being the king in our lives? How do we express our respect and submission to Christ being the king in our lives and what he did for us? Can people see that Christ is the king of your life? How do we express our belief that he is the victorious one over everything? Or can they still see that you're going back to old habits that you were trapped in before you gave your life to Jesus? Do you still stay the same year after year, even though Jesus is your king and he's given you, he's given you a way to be free from it? He's given you a way to be victorious over it. Is there an expression in your life about how you have submitted to Christ being the king of your life. 
and we can look at how this crowd laid down physical things. And actually there's part of our lives to live as Christ followers, to lay down some physical things. Hey, we spoke about the open offering from last week. A bunch of you laid down some physical money because you were submitted to Christ being your king. It wasn't out of anything else because of what he has asked you to do. We can sometimes need to lay down some possessions because someone else has a need because of Christ being our king, not for any other reason, but because he's asked it of us and we are submitted to his ways as he is our king. But what about our time? Hey, how does our time show that we're submitted to Christ being the king of our lives? Is money the king? Is work the king? Is family the king? Or is Christ the king with your time? Or what about into more, um, less physical things? Hey, have you laid down that worry that you've lived with for 35 years? Hey, have you laid down that fear that doesn't need to hold you anymore? How are you doing with laying down jealousy? How are you doing with laying down your judgment of others? How are you doing with laying down unforgiveness and bitterness and gossip towards other people? How are you doing with laying all that stuff down in an act and an expression of submission to Christ being the king of your lives? Is there an expressive... um, What was I saying? (laughs) Is there an expressive act going on in your life that shows that you have submitted to Christ being your king? Because this crowd did. This crowd went wild because they knew he was the king. If you know he's the king, how are you expressing it? How are you expressing it? There should be an enthusiasm that rises in us about expressing our submission to Christ as king. Just because of that fact, not to put on a show, not to so people recognize stuff or whatever, but just purely out of the fact he's the king and what he did for us and the way he's prepared for us. And you see, this prepares the way for others to know Jesus. Because if you have an expression in your life, if you live your life with an expression of submission to Christ being your king, people have something to take notice of. They will see something different in you than the rest of the world. If you live your life like the rest of the world, they're never going to wonder about Jesus in your life. But if you live your life in a submission to Christ as your king, and there's an actual physical expression of that in your day-to-day life, they will wonder about Jesus in your life. You will prepare the way for them by how you choose to live in this act of submission to Jesus as your king. You, that will help prepare the way. Because I've had so many conversations with people that end up, and not just with me, but with others I've spoken about that have invited people to church and said, come, I want you to come. And you know the ones that sometimes get most positive because they say this line. They say, oh, I can see you really believe it because you live it. Your invitation to Easter will go further if they can actually see a practical working out of you living in submission to Christ as your king in your life. Your invitation will go further because there's weight to it now. It's not just like you want them to come to some event that takes up their time on an Easter Sunday. You want them to come to an event where you've met someone that's changed how you live your entire life. 
are we having an expression in our lives? Any area, I don't know what it will be for you, where we live in submission to Christ being our king and we show that, we demonstrate in our lives that we are submitted to him as our king. So there's the first thing, they lay down their cloaks and branches that show Jesus the king, the ultimate victory that he was about to prepare the way for at the end of the week. And then for us preparing the way, how can we express that submission in our lives? But the second thing that this crowd do is they shout about Jesus. Hey, do we like shouting in church? <laughs> how do we feel about that? <laughs> this crowd shouted about Jesus when he came. And the shouts that this crowd um, gave up to Jesus, the things they shouted to him as he passed them by, they show us that they recognized Jesus is saviour. So what they laid down, recognized they saw Jesus as king, and these shouts show that they knew he was the saviour, and he is the saviour. You see, because they say this word that we're very familiar with, that is Hosanna, Hosanna. And it means save now. This crowd, literally, Jesus was riding in and they're going, save now, save now, save now. They had an urgency. They had a, a revelation about them towards this man that he was about to save them. He knew, they'd known the prophecies that had been given about this man. A Messiah is coming and he will do a new thing. He will rescue you. And they were like, he's here, save now, please, Jesus, save now. He knew, they knew he was the saviour and they had to shout about it. I love that that's their choice to demonstrate that they knew he was saviour. They didn't say a quiet little prayer to themselves. They didn't just whisper it to a friend or write it down and show it to him. That would have been really weird, wouldn't it? They were like, Hosanna, save now. Our saviour has arrived. That is what this crowd were doing in these shouts. That is the emotion that was building in them. That was the enthusiasm, the revelation, the passion that was bubbling over in them gets expressed in the shout to this man riding on a donkey. They realized their savior was arriving. That is why they shout these words to him. But you see again, come the end of this week, Jesus wasn't about to be a savior that overthrows a ruler or an army. He was about to save now by saving your eternal destiny, not just your short-lived destiny on earth. He was about to save now by saving your eternal destiny. He was about to save now by dying on the cross as a perfect human being and son of God, physically taking on all the sins of the world in a heart-wrenching, all-powerful act of salvation for all of mankind. When he hung on that cross, he was preparing the way for you. As he hung on that cross, he was creating the way for you. That act on that cross, that pain, that humiliation, that torture, that death, was Jesus' moment of creating the way for you to be saved for all of eternity. When they shout about a saviour, 
They are alluding to the way that he was about to prepare at the end of the week. The ultimate saving act for all of mankind. That is who this man was and is. That Friday when he hung on that cross, that was him saving now, but having an eternal effect for all mankind. That is who they shout about. That is why they shout, because of the significance of the way that their saviour was going to prepare. The crowd prepared away by their shouts and their exclamations about a saviour coming. So what can we learn from them about this? About how we are preparing the way for others to see Jesus in our lives, just like the act of submission. Well, my question is, how much noise do you make about Jesus being your saviour? How much noise do you make in your day-to-day about Jesus being your saviour? I'm not talking about being insensitive or shouting in people's faces or being arrogant about it. But do people at work know that Jesus is your saviour? Do they know that you follow him as your saviour? Do you talk about Jesus as your saviour with your friends and your family? Here in this modern age, could I look at your social media, some of you, and know that Jesus is your saviour? Or is that so hidden from sight that there's no kind of noise being made about Jesus as your saviour? Could I look at your life, how you're living it, the decisions you're making, how you treat people, how you speak, the words you use, your actions. Could I look at it and know that Jesus is your saviour? I'm not talking about getting everything right and being perfect. It's not what I'm saying. But you follow the ways of what Jesus has asked of you from his word. You know, when you, when you do mess up, because that happens and we all will, but you go to Jesus because he's your saviour, or you go to the world because they're a comfort. How do you respond in certain situations? Do you respond like Jesus is your saviour? Do you make a noise in your life about Jesus being your saviour? Because this crowd did, and they were not ashamed of it. And they were expressive in it as well. Because that as well is how we are going to prepare the way for others to ask about Jesus. If there's no noise about him, why would they ask? If there's no noise about Jesus being your saviour in your life, there is no way for them to be prepared into asking about him. But if there is a noise about Jesus being your saviour, if they see something different, if when something goes wrong, you go pray first or you speak words of life, if they see a noise, an expression in your life, an enthusiasm about Jesus being your saviour, that prepares the way for them to ask about him. Because they see him actually doing something in your life. 
there absolutely 100% should be an enthusiasm in us as children of God towards Christ being our King and our Saviour. Inwardly, yes, but also outwardly as well. We are not to just keep this hidden and for ourselves. This is for all mankind. And so there should be an enthusiasm in us. There should be something that sometimes rocks the boat. Because you see Jesus coming in on a donkey, gate crashing, a religious festival, wasn't smooth, calm and kept everyone happy. Hey, he rocked the boat. He stirred things up. He made people angry sometimes. He made people feel uncomfortable. And I want to say to you, if you are living an enthusiastic life in recognition as Christ as your king and savior, you will have these moments when you make people feel uncomfortable, where you have to rock the boat, where truth sometimes causes things to feel uncomfortable. That's not bad. It's just living how Jesus did and adhering to the truth of his gospel and his way. As long as it's done in love. It's always how Jesus carried it in love, but he didn't deter from the truth. I want to read um, a quote to you before I get to the last little bit that I want to make. And it's to do with our enthusiasm as a people of God. And actually, you know, I'm... I don't want to bash people. I'm not judging you. Please hear me when I say this. I am not. You know, there are individual expressions of how you show an enthusiasm in your life about Jesus Christ being your King and Savior, of course. But please, let there be something. I think for so long, we, especially in English culture, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to make sure everyone feels comfortable, everyone's okay, everyone can just be, and that's all right. I don't think that's quite the way Jesus had in mind, if I'm honest. I think there's meant to be sometimes where we look like a crowd welcoming him in, shouting his praises and throwing things and being expressionate because we know who he is. There should be. And there's a quote that Charles Spurgeon says. If you know him, he was a preacher back in the, I don't know what years, Nine some 1900s at least 1900s sometime but he says this about this crowd that welcomed Jesus in he says in one way this crowd was glorious you see it is a mark of Christ's presence when the church becomes enthusiastic meaning actually if Christ's presence lives in you day to day there will be an enthusiasm that rises in you for it. We sometimes hear complaints about revivals being too exciting. And perhaps the censure is deserved, but I would like to see a little of the fault. This age does not generally sin in the direction of being too excited concerning divine things. In other words, we probably can't be put at fault for getting overexcited about the things of heaven and the things of Jesus. We have erred so long on the other side that perhaps a little excess in the direction of fervor or enthusiasm might not be the worst of all calamities. At any rate, I would not fear to try it. That got me. 
actually, I think for so long, especially in this nation, and more so in the, the, the climate of the culture we are in, we err on the side of not being too much just in case it offends. We err on the side of comfort because that feels best for us. But I want to encourage you as a church, and actually I would love this house of God to be enthusiastic because Christ's presence is here. You don't have to do certain things. You don't have to jump as high as Ben jumps or shout like Ben jumps. You don't have to sing as loud as whoever. But do something. Push past your comfort zone in church. Because if you can't do it here, you won't do it out there. If you can't get enthusiastic in the house of God, you won't get enthusiastic when you're outside of its walls. Let's build an enthusiasm in us to who we are worshipping and here for. You see, because my last bit, if we have stirred up a life of enthusiastic expression of Jesus being the saviour king in our lives, it's going to cause people to look. You see, the last bit in this passage, it says here, because of what most of this crowd did, because they did an expression of submission to Christ being king, because they shouted about him being the savior, it says the whole city was stirred up. The whole city. Remember, there's thousands that have probably flooded in for this. The whole city was stirred up. If all of us in this room dedicated ourselves to living a life of enthusiastic expression in our submission to Christ as King and our Savior, let me tell you, I believe stains would be stirred up. They would be. They'd have to take notice because something was happening. If nothing happens of Christ in your life, they have nothing to be stirred up about. If we have an enthusiasm in our day-to-day, in your schools, in your workplaces, in your families, when you're in a restaurant or a cafe, this town will be stirred up. And let me tell you, the best bit happens next. It says the whole city was stirred up. And what do they ask? Who is this? Who is this? If we live this life, if we get this enthusiasm, if we have an expression of submission to Christ as King and Savior, and we stir people up around us, maybe, just maybe, they might go to you and go, who is this man that you live for? Who is this man you've submitted your life to? Who is this man you'll change your behavior for? Who is this man you'll give up your time and finances and possessions for? Who is this man that you'll lead your family with? Who is this man that you'll pray to and see miracles and healings and breakthrough? Who is this? That is our aim. That is our goal. In these next two weeks, I want to encourage you. Let's go up a gear. Hey, we've got two weeks before our Easter Sunday services. Two weeks. We are not just inviting for inviting's sake so that we look great. We are stepping it up 
to be more expressive in our enthusiasm about Jesus being our Christ and King so that we prepare the way through that so that people take notice of our lives so that you can hand them an invite so that maybe, just maybe, they'll come here Easter Sunday and they'll ask the question, who is this? And we can go, let me tell you, it is Jesus, a King and a Savior and he has prepared the way for you. That is what this is about. I'm not just getting you to do this because I want you to to do it because it's fun or whatever and it looks cool. I'm doing this so that salvation might come into people in your lives. Salvation might come to more people in this town. Inviting people to Easter, please do not see it as a chore. Please do not see it as, oh, I've got to do it or someone else will do it. I'm sure that person that's more confident will do it and I don't have to. Well, no, actually. There's people in your world that are relying on you to step out and do it. They're relying on you to live a life that's expressive in its submission to Christ, being your king and your savior. So over these two weeks, can we step it up as a church together? Hey, I want stories where we tried to invite someone and it got a bit awkward and you were like, I don't know how to end it, but here's a flyer. Maybe see you. That's fine. That's all part of the adventure and the journey. I've had super awkward moments inviting people to church. doesn't matter. It's okay. But it shows you care if you'll reach out and do it. shows you believe this thing. shows you live a life in submission to Christ as King and Savior, that you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and invite someone along to the very thing that keeps you going. So these two weeks, let's just invite all we can. Let's be stepping up our um, expression of how we are submitted to Jesus as king. Take some time with him. Where in your life are you not submitted to him being king? Hey, where in your life have you been quiet about Jesus being your savior? Let's look at those things. Let's adjust those things in these two weeks. Because hey, if you go into work tomorrow morning and something's different about you than it was on Friday, you're going to stir people up. They're going to take notice. There's going to be an entryway into a conversation. You're going to have prepared the way in just how you've decided to change with Jesus to someone asking about him. And have that flyer ready to go, well, hey, if you want to know more, this is happening at Easter. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a kid's sketch, which already sounds hilarious. There's going to be a choir. Come, everyone's welcome. It'll be a great day together. And maybe, just maybe, they'll say yes to, being, to Jesus being their savior on that Sunday. Are you up for this? Easter Sunday, we want this place full again. We had just over 300 here at the Christmas carols. Let's go for it again because of who we know Jesus to be, our King and our Savior. I want you to take one of these flyers and hold it in your hands right now. There should be one on your seat. If not, have a search around you. You can grab one from another chair if not. front row don't have one they're clearly not up for inviting (laughs) I'm kidding oh yeah bring to yeah this front row don't have any I'm getting you some because I want you to join in too (laughs) and I want you to hold this 
And actually right now, I want you to just hold it in the air. This invitation, I knew I was going to get emotional at some point, because I always will with Easter, but this invitation could represent the way being prepared for someone to accept Jesus as their saviour. This very flyer could be that way that you prepare for someone saying, yes, I want my eternal destiny changed. I give my life to him. So I want you to picture someone in your head right now you're going to give this to. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray. But I want you to remember what we've just spoken about, enthusiasm. I want you to pray enthusiastically because this could be someone's salvation that you invite them to. So start praying, church. Start. You can put it down in your lap if your arm gets tired, but if you feel like that's something you need to push through, hold it high above your head and picture that person and begin to pray. Pray for them. Pray for the way to be prepared for them. Pray that they would say yes. Pray for good conversations. Pray that when they come on Sunday that they would accept Jesus as Savior. Believe in your invite. Come on, church. Lift your voices. Pray out loud for the first time if you haven't before. This is worth it. Someone's salvation is worth you getting out of your comfort zone. Pray fervently. Pray enthusiastically. Raise your voice. Lift your voice this morning. Lift it to him. This invitation could be the way for someone to receive salvation into their lives. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you.